Um, moving on to the last goal for today, which is SDG 13, which focuses on climate action. So, sir, since you have been working on this for quite some time, from your point of view, do you think Malaysian society pay enough attention to climate change? Have we also properly responded to climate actions? Okay, good question. I'm going to start by saying I'm also a founding member of Gabungan Direct Iklim Malaysia, or GDIMY, or the Climate, uh, Climate Emergency Coalition of Malaysia. We were formed, hey, it's the 8th of April, right? So yeah. two days, it will be our second anniversary uh, of Ooh. the formation of Gabungan Direct Iklim. And it came out of the first climate strike that was held in Kuala Lumpur in 2019, September of 2019, Climate Action Week. Uh, all the people who came together, the individuals, the NGOs, CSOs, CBOs, uh, decided after that, that that they should take urgent climate action. Mm-hmm. So this is the first step, right? They should take urgent climate action. And they decided to do it, or we decided to do it, by forming a coalition. Uh, and the aim of the coalition was to produce a document uh, to demand that the Malaysian government declare a climate emergency. So we worked for a year and a bit to produce that document, consulting with various grassroots uh, organizations uh, and communities, uh, with uh, scientific uh, experts uh, and with activists uh, from Malaysia and around the world uh, to craft that document. And we finally did it and we gave it uh, to the then Prime Minister, Smile Sabri, who promptly ignored us, uh, we gave them a deadline to, to do it by the 16th of September 2020, nothing happened. Um, and then recently again, uh, with the election of the new government, we gave it to, um, to uh, the Prime Minister uh, last year, actually, in, in Parliament, uh, um, on September 5th, uh, when he organised a symposium. Uh, on climate change, uh, and then this year again to the, the NRECC minister, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they are now working on drafting a new climate change act, uh, which will be more reflective of what is uh, the aspirations of society, and not just government and business and law, but you know, it's something that's put together or their aim is to put it together and make it holistic. So that's the, the starting point. The, the second point is uh, one thing that is really good about nations is when they know if they know about something bad that is happening or misfortune that has fallen on someone, they'll all get together and help. That, that's something I've seen time and again. The one thing that's not good about nations is if they don't know, they don't care. <laughs> Right, so tidak apa or apathy is uh, is very very common. Right, so it's it's cultural for us not to give a damn unless we know about it. So it's kind of funny, right? You know, we won't go and look out uh, for people, but if we know of somebody in trouble, we'll all come together and help. You know, it's it's a very Malaysian thing, um, and and most Malaysians. Uh, and I think most human beings around the world, even with the level of education available, choose ignorance over information. Mm-hmm. Because information is a burden. 
knowledge is a burden. If I don't know, I can say I don't know. But if I know, then the question arises, well, why don't you, why don't you do something about it? Right? It requires action. You know? So I think ignorance by choice, right? Because you, you don't want the burden of having to act, especially when that acting may not benefit you immediately or uh, because no one else is acting. I must agree with that. We all have the mindset of let other do their job. They will do for us. Yes. So why should we, you know, why should we interrupt why them? Why burden ourselves, them? right? Yeah. So everybody expects, say, so CBOs, NGOs, you know, to do something. And in the world of activism, uh, people will say, uh, first, they came for my, uh, my grandfather and nobody did anything. And then they came for my father and nobody did anything. And then they came for my mother and my sisters and nobody did anything. And then they came for me and there was no one to do anything for me. You know? Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is about how people are always waiting for somebody else. But if you wait for someone else, it becomes too late. So by the time yeah. you want to take action, there's nothing left to save. The house is burned down. Everybody has died. You've lost everything. You know? So, um, so the, the whole idea behind climate action uh, is that the house is on fire and you cannot wait for the fire department to arrive. You are there. You have the bucket. You have the sand. You have the water. So are you still going to wait or are you going to do what you can do with the help of what you have? Right. So that, that's the basis of climate action. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a very extensive subject because everything uh, to do with, um, with the Rio Summit in 1992 uh, leading to the Millennium Development Goals in 2000, leading to the Paris Agreement 2015, uh, leading to now, uh, has got to do with climate action. So climate is the great equalizer. Doesn't matter what your skin color, doesn't matter what your religion, what your race, what your uh, different ability, whether you are on the spectrum or not, uh, it doesn't care, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it does what it does, like what it's done for, for the 4 billion years of, uh, that the planet has been in existence. And so it's an equalizing factor. So everybody will be affected. But there are some people who are the most vulnerable, who will be the hardest hit. right? And the idea behind urgent climate action is to protect the people who will be hardest hit. Eventually, it will hit everyone, right? So, simple example, I'm a very rich businessman. I own lots of businesses and whatever. I have, you know, 10,000 employees around the world. Tomorrow, all my employees are dead. Well, I'm not going to go to the factory. I don't even know how to turn on the bloody machine, right? So, mm -hmm. what's the use of my wealth? Now, another 10,000 people who grow all the food I eat, they're all wiped out as well. So all this while, I, you know, I, somebody else is growing my food, right? And then another 10,000 people who do all the transportation can't even deliver the food to me. So I live in a big house up in the mountains. But you own nothing. Nobody can get me any food, right? Yeah. So 
make no mistake, everybody's going to be affected. But the worst affected, the most affected, will be the people who are most vulnerable. Mm. So the people who live in coastal areas who suffer the worst effects of uh, storms and uh, rising sea levels, they're the ones who are going to be most affected. The ones who live from day to day, uh, who are not part of the mainstream economy, uh, they are going to be really affected. The ones who live in areas where there's no access to clean water, uh, they're the ones who are going to be most affected. You know, the people who grow our food. Everybody was saying, oh, the doctors and the frontliners and all that's so important. I wanted to tell everybody, hey, listen, I'll take the garbage cleaners away, I'll take the sanitation workers away, and i take the farmers away. Then you tell me how important the doctors and nurses are. Right? Because even doctors and nurses need to eat and need to poop. Yep. Right? And somebody's got to grow your food and somebody's got to clean up your poop. So who do you think is most important? You know, to me, the farmers are the most important. The sanitation workers are the most important because mm -hmm. they are basic. Take that away and forget it. You know, the people who produce your water, they're the most important. Because, you know, some people get COVID and they never die. Some people get COVID and they die, right? So it's kind of 50-50, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but... Everybody who doesn't eat is going to die. And everybody who doesn't drink water is going to die. That's a hundred percent. You know, so to give you an, an idea of why climate action is really important, uh, when you frame it like that, because mm -hmm. we've just come out of the pandemic and people remember that. So uh, a climate that is not stable, that is not predictable, that is not forecastable, becomes a problem because it threatens one of livability. If we're so used to living in 30 degree temperature and it suddenly rises to 40 degrees, right? Our physiology is not, not used to it. We can adapt, but usually the adaptation takes time, right? But if you don't have the time, yesterday it was like this, today it's like this, and it's like this for so the whole time, people start to suffer heat strokes, right? So everybody, including doctors, will start to suffer heat strokes. Because we are in an immersed experience. We're breathing the air. We're living in that ambient temperature, right? Uh, and suddenly you don't get as much rain. Suddenly you're sweating more. So you're starting to consume more water. And then your plants, your food crops, right, uh, that can live in a certain temperature range can no longer live in the temperature range. So if you're, you're depending on your own production of food and suddenly you don't, you cannot produce that amount of food, you have to spend money buying food from another country, which means your currency starts to devalue. And then it begins a whole chain of things that are interconnected. Right? To give you an example, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Suddenly you've got no French fries in the KFC. I mean there's a war going on somewhere else like what the hell does it have to got to do with what's going on here? But that tells you how serious it is. Uh, mm -hmm. That's just a war. It's not even the effect of climate change, right? And the effect of climate change can become much, much more devastating than uh, any of those wars. So, knowing what climate changes is very important. Uh, understanding that we are not powerless is mm -hmm. also very, very important. And then, once you know those two things, mm -hmm. you have no choice but to take action. 
right? And everybody thinks, oh, it's somebody else's job. It's the government job to fix climate change. It's that person's job to fix climate change. But what's driving climate change? What's driving climate change is the amount of carbon that we are producing directly or indirectly that is not being captured and stored in a safe way that is increasing the surface temperatures around the globe that is making the climate system that has existed for a long time very unpredictable. If you cannot predict the climate, how are you going to fly planes? How are you going to grow crops? It's now spring. It is supposed to be the right time for planting, but there's no rainfall. And the snow is not melting. So how am I going to grow? And it's now uh, August, right? And it's time to harvest. So it should be nice and cool and dry. But every day it's piss pouring. So much of the world operates on the idea that we can forecast or predict local mm -hmm. weather patterns or microclimates, right? So that we can use those systems to produce what we need for ourselves. We will reach a point when the temperature tips below the 1.5 degrees that we're trying to stay, uh, then the climate becomes unpredictable which means weather systems become unpredictable, microclimates, local weather. And it, it starts a whole chain reaction that we cannot see. We cannot see it because it's so complex. Right? If the ice starts melting on the, on, the, on the poles, the sea level increases. The mm -hmm. sea level increases, the water becomes less saline. What species cannot survive in less saline water? We don't know. And for species that cannot survive in less saline water in diluted salt and seawater, uh, stats a trigger for uh, fish not having enough food to propagate, then we run out of seafood. Right? Or if it becomes very acidic, then it changes something else again in the sea, which then leads to another whole range of chain reactions. So it's a very scary thing, climate instability. I don't know whether you have been in any typhoons or tropical storms. Uh, can be extremely scary and extremely devastating. But that's on this side of the globe. In other parts of the world, if you've seen forest fires up close, it's mm -hmm. a different story. It's a different story. But that can also be extremely damaging. And worse, when that's damaging what happens, we put even more carbon into the atmosphere. So that's the, the main thing behind uh, climate action. Now, so I said earlier that we talked about how it's everybody else's job to do something mm -hmm. in ours. Yeah. But, you know, we are the ones consuming and producing carbon. When I breathe, I produce carbon dioxide. Right? Same with you. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we eat yeah. food. When we fart, we produce methane, so which is one of the one of the greenhouse gases that that is uh, that is contributing to climate change. And also, when we drive, when we uh, ride a bike, even when we take the train, we are, we all have a carbon footprint that is contributing to climate change. So, what can we do to reduce our carbon footprint and reverse some of the effects and impacts of our previous carbon usage. And so we can always start with ourselves because this whole thing, 
was caused not by one factory polluting, not by you know a hundred business polluting. I mean, the, why are the businesses polluting? They're polluting because we're consuming, mm -hmm. right? Yep. We're consuming. If there are no consumers, they have no reason to produce. So this is where the whole point about uh, responsible consumption and production, which I think is goal eleven or twelve, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to not to, to pollute in, a, in a, to produce without uh, polluting. That's one, and to consume without polluting. Uh, that's another one, and and for that those areas, that particular mm -hmm. SDG, the focus is on ESG, you know, because it, it talks about producers, businesses that produce, right? But I'll give you a simple action that we can take. Um, mm -hmm. yep. Do you uh, at home? What do you do with your food waste? I just I try not to to have to waste my food. I finish all it, but if I really can't finish, I Usually, I would just throw it into the dustbin. So, right. So you put it in a plastic bag, you tie it up, yeah. and then you throw it in the garbage man collects it. So just in that action, right? One, you're you're using plastic unnecessarily, mm -hmm. right? Two, that goes into into a garbage truck, which rots as it's rotting. It's producing, you know, uh, stink and methane and mm -hmm. the, the possibility of disease. And they drip, 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 drip. Have you followed behind a garbage truck before? Drip, drip, all the way, sticky, 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 sticky. It goes into a landfill. Hopefully the landfill is a sanitary landfill, uh, not a, a regular uh, landfill, uh, because the sanitary landfills are built such that the leachates don't contaminate groundwater, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of that goes into the landfill because there's no oxygen. Uh, it rots anaerobically and produces even more greenhouse gases. Now, what if you composted your food waste? Oh. Right? And what if the 30 million Malaysians compost all their food waste? Then what that goes into the landfill is heavily reduced, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And not only that, the things that go into the landfill, we won't need as much carbon footprint to transfer it from your taman all the way to the landfill. So look at how much carbon mm -hmm. reduction in just one simple action. Right? Yeah. Because it's amplified. It's amplified by 30, 33 million people every day on a daily basis. At the very least, shows. if you do three meals a day. Yeah. I mean, this right? also so, shows so, how we Malaysians, like, we, we just need a, a simple step to, you know, yep. help to achieve the goals. Yeah. And, yeah. Right, but that would be urgent climate action because the significant mm -hmm. the reduction from, from GHG gases produced mm -hmm. from landfills alone would be cut, completely cut out of our carbon use mm -hmm. so is it that hard no i believe it's quite easy like one simple step would help right so you then go backwards and see how can mm -hmm. we prevent the production of food waste in the first place mm -hmm. right uh, so there's food waste and wasting food you know so if you only eat that much why take extra because the extra can't go back into the pot, it has to go to the waste, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, small things. Right? I take it out. If I run out, I go and take some more, but I'm still hungry. If I'm not, yeah. I would have not have wasted any food. You know? Yeah. So these are simple actions that we can take within our power. And if we do it at a collective level, the savings uh, or the reduction in our carbon uh, expenditure or carbon output, carbon footprint, would greatly, greatly reduce. The people don't see it, but and they keep thinking it's somebody else doing it, but actually we're the ones doing it on a daily basis. Um, I believe um, the audience who are listening to this and including myself, we would have, we would or should have learned a thing or two from this very educational sharing. And this is the end of the podcast. And before we come to um, the end, I would like to thank you for your time, uh, Mr. Kennedy. And today's episode of Curative will now come to an end. Thank you for listening to our podcast from BAC's Career Club. Do tune in to our next episode that will be released soon on Spotify. Once again, I'm your host, Colette, and wishing you a great day.